0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martini's coming up.
1: Really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Yes, we've made it here again and... Jim, I'm still reeling from the fact that I filled up my tank today and it was $259 a gallon. I'm not the most organized person in the world, but I found a receipt in my car from just before Joe Biden's inauguration. It was $217 a gallon. So I don't know all the different factors here, but we're not headed in the right direction. That's not one of our martinis today, however. Let's go to our good martini, and that's that the minimum wage is not going to be raised as part of this reconciliation process on the COVID relief bill. CNBC, Democrats cannot include a $15 per hour minimum wage in their $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package, a Senate official ruled Thursday derailing for now a party priority and a raise for millions of Americans. Nonpartisan Senate parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough determined lawmakers could not include the policy under budget reconciliation. She and her staff heard arguments from both parties. Reconciliation, of course, allows the Senate to pass bills with a simple majority, not needing 60 votes to cut off debate. However, uh, that was going to be difficult anyway, since Kirsten Sinema uh, was not going to uh, vote for a minimum wage increase. She said it didn't belong in the bill, and the parliamentarian has agreed here. So, uh, Jim, you got a lot of folks on the far left, and maybe not even on the far, far left, upset with this. Uh, They say they're going to press forward, but... uh, Uh, Jim, if they need 60 or even 50 votes, it's still going to be difficult for them to get. But at least as of right now, small businesses are safe and not facing a major hike in labor costs, which would imperil their already fragile businesses.
0: Yeah, simple rule of thumb here. If you were calling for a particular policy proposal long before the coronavirus pandemic came along, You cannot characterize it as an emergency response to the coronavirus pandemic. This is something you've always wanted, and you're just using the pandemic as an excuse to get it. Secondly, if you're going to do a bill through reconciliation, it's got to be related to the budget. The raising the minimum wage might be relevant to your household budget, but no, it is not relevant to the federal budget. It's not a spending bill, and I think we should give uh, Elizabeth McDonough some real credit for for calling it as you saw it for applying the rules and the laws consistently and not for, you know, knuckling under to the pressure. And I'm sure there was a considerable amount of pressure on her, you know, progressives never like being told, uh, no, you can't have this. And of course, unsurprisingly, they immediately begin, you know, well, if I can't get what I want, clearly the system is unfair and illegitimate and should be changed. Ilhan Omar is already calling for McDonough to be replaced. As I said in the morning, jolt, Greg, Oh brother, I'll just, uh, (laughs) Let let that joke grenade sit out there and then wait for the bang. Um, but then the other the assessment I, I was struck by was from Congressman Ro Kahana of, out in California, Democrat, who writes, an unelected parliamentarian does not get to deprive 32 million Americans of the raise they deserve. Don't ask me why the congressman sounds like a snidely whiplash when I read out his, his tweet aloud, but that's the way it is. This is an advisory, not a ruling. Vice President Harris needs to disregard and rule that a $15 minimum wage in order. Now, Greg, wasn't it just last month that almost all of us agreed that we did really, really, really did not want the vice president of the United States ignoring the assessment of other government officials and just willy-nilly deciding unilaterally, yeah, I don't like that assessment. I'm gonna institute the result that I want. Didn't we all have this really big argument about whether the vice president could do that? Wasn't, wasn't it? Yeah, I seem to remember this, but I don't know, memory holds somehow, I guess. Yeah, when well, the hats
1: change, so do the opinions, I guess, on a lot of these different things. Well, you know, Ro Khan is mad because he doesn't want those businesses to exist if they don't pay at least $15 an hour. And with the parliamentarian ruling this way, he's going to have to live in a world where those businesses still get to decide how much they think their employees provide value and then pay them accordingly. So sorry, Ro.
0: Not sorry. I wonder if he's got unpaid internships.
1: <laughs> a lot of them do. Oh, man. Well, let's talk about some other good news here, and that's that you can actually chew gum and improve your dental health. That's what Quip's doing right now. We've talked to you for years now about their great electric truth, electric toothbrushes and their floss dispensers, and now, yes, actually, the gum works too. Look, gum is something people chew as a way to relieve stress, curb appetites, and most importantly, freshen their breath, but a lot of people don't realize that gum can be an integral part of a healthy oral care routine, especially if it's sugarless.
0: Quip gum can help prevent cavities and freshen breath when chewed for 20 minutes after eating. It is sugar-free and has tooth-friendly xylitol with zero calories. The slim travel-ready dispenser, which is available in five colors, packs and protects up to 10 gum pieces at a time and fits in just about any purse or pocket for on-the-go. And in a world where we all need to be extra safe and hygienic, the quick-release button means you can still share with friends with no wrappers, no hands, or hassles. And you can add a gum refill plan for a gift that keeps on giving all year round. Plus, the more you buy, the more you save with bulk discounts on extra gum packs. We need to point out, of course, it's not a substitute for brushing
1: and flossing, but it is a great support for your oral health. And the dispenser is really cool. I like it. It's almost like a Pez dispenser. You say, hey, anybody want a piece of gum? And you just go. There you go. And uh, it actually tastes really good. Really minty fresh. They say you should do it for about 20 minutes. Great way to improve your oral health and very simple as well. So spread uh, good oral health habits and join the over 5 million mouths already using Quip. Get chewing for less than $2 per gum pack. And if you go to getquip.com martini right now, you can get a free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. That's a free dispenser at getquip.com martini. Spell G-E-T-Q-U-I-P com slash martini quip is the good habits company all right jim let's talk about where we stand in the inoculation process here and once again you're pulling your hair out because uh, some things are going well you've got a customer base that wants the product you've got a producer who is producing the product at a pretty good clip but the ability to get the two together seems to be running into a number of problems. Uh, you have uh, written in the last couple of days about the number of doses that remain unused. We're talking about 22.2 million doses as of yesterday. Uh, you also have pointed out that uh, CVS pharmacies, actually this is the Washington Post, CVS pharmacies initially received a quarter million doses through the program starting february 12th but the allotment did not transpire the following week and right aid has also seen inconsistent supplies saying the moderna shipments didn't arrive last week forcing it to reschedule immunization appointments for thirty-five thousand patients and that's not even talking about the websites that aren't working that great in some cases
0: so where are we here not okay not better than we were at the very start of this process we should give credit to it the rolling daily average is currently 1.3 million so we're Uh, well on the way to the 100 million doses in 100 days that Biden has promised. We're actually, you know, I think they had an event at the White House yesterday celebrating 50 million doses. So hitting that 150 million doses in 100 days seems much more plausible. But there's been a slowdown over the last two weeks. And you might say, oh, okay, it's it's winter weather. Uh, That really terrible storm that hit all the way down to Texas, a whole big middle chunk of the country looked like like an inverted popsicle. Uh, and so you're like, okay, this is really bad. That's going to do it. And that's fine. And okay, I, I granted, that's going to delay flights. That's going to delay shipments. That's going to cancel vaccination appointments. But that was nine days ago. And we're still seeing it relatively slow. The, uh, yesterday, uh, there were 1.8 million done, but the rolling average, as I said, is still 1.3. And it's been slow for a while. And the two things I check every morning, uh, I used to, I, I still check both the Bloomberg site and the New York Times data Lately, they are lining up completely. I think they're both getting their data from the Centers for Disease Control. So I'm, you know, you're not going to see any discrepancy there like you saw earlier in this process. Um, so the first thing I check is how many uh, have been pro- uh, distributed by the manufacturers. And lately, it looks like Moderna and Pfizer are just kicking it into overdrive. We're talking like 4 million, 5 million, 6 million a day sometimes. But you're not seeing that many get into people's arms. And that is why over the past week, uh, Monday things were looking pretty good. We had, you know, 83.9 percent of all the uh, doses that have been distributed to the states have been used. Um, only 12 million doses were, were left. and now, here it is Friday morning, uh, the number of administ- percentage of administered doses is down to 74%. That's pretty sick. That's about 10 percentage points down in about a week, and we're up to 23.3 million doses. And when people's first reaction might be, oh, okay, well, you know, bad, bad weather, that's going to delay stuff. It's going to have a, a kind of a domino effect throughout the whole vaccination process, I guess. But notice that like Pfizer and Moderna are still having success in getting the doses to the states. So it seems odd to me that weather would be affecting one part of this process, but not the other part of this process. And we want this backlog to be as small as possible you don't want it to be growing day by day which is what it's been doing for the last couple of days and again i don't think weather is canceling nearly as many you know appointments maybe in some you know new england's got bad weather or up in the upper midwest or something but most of the country is back to normal late february weather and so what's what's the hold up here what's going on um, small amount of embarrassment for the Biden administration yesterday. Kamala Harris does a photo op at a Washington, D.C. pharmacy. Um, and look, I, you know, for all my beefs with the vice president, this is the sort of thing the administration should do, telling people it's safe. But while she's saying people, go use this new federal uh, program that's being run through pharmacies the District of Columbia has a website you're supposed to use to register for these appointments. And lo and behold, the registration website crashed the day before the the Harris thing, it was still not working and it was still sending erroneous messages telling people they were not eligible when they were. And then of course, once they finally got all that worked out many users found all the appointments had been booked. Um, I don't think this is all a weather problem anymore. I did, it, it does not make sense that nine days after the storm, you'd still be seeing the incoming number of doses significantly higher than the outgoing, meaning getting into people's arms number of doses. And the more I read about this, not just in national coverage, but I like reading about local newspapers and how things are going kind of at the ground level, um, it really seems like a lot of these, you know, it's not entirely a website problem, although I think as a, you know there are plenty of examples you can find of that. It's not entirely a phone lines are jammed problem, but certainly there are plenty of anecdotes of people who are calling, trying to have trouble getting a reservation, uh, an appointment, and who can't get anybody to answer their phone. Um, here in Fairfax County, i got to give them credit. They have improved their rate of doing so, um, but in many cases, it is you have applied for an appointment, we'll let you know when you're eligible to try to schedule one, and then it's the luck of the draw, you know, can you find a, an appointment on that day? They're slowly but steadily, a couple thousand a day, working their way through this backlog. But I think they've got, you know, some, it's, it's high five-figure uh, backlog to work through there. It is not, uh, and I guess what I just find baffling about this is it's so far... I, as far as I can tell, the problem is with the states. And certain states are have, have used more than 100% of their allocated doses, meaning they've figured out how to get six doses out of a vial that's supposed to deliver five. North Dakota was doing really good. The Dakotas were doing a really good job. West Virginia's done a very good job. And then there are ones that are just way below. And look, I understand some of these are in transit or some of these other places are, you know, like Pennsylvania received 3.6 million doses and they've got 1.1 million just either in transit or sitting on shelves right now. Uh, Harris's home state of California received 10.9 million, hasn't used almost 3 million doses. Texas received 7.3 million, 2.27 million have not been used yet. Guys, what's the holdup here, right? Like this is supposed to be the easy, manufacturing it was supposed to be the really challenging part because you could only grow... Uh, the various proteins and the stuff in the giant vats that they have to, and separate out the DNA that they have to use. This is, you know, that's a complicated time-consuming process. Shipping needles across the country, put, you know, keeping them in the right amount of freezing. Oh, by the way, we just found out that they don't need to be held at super cold if you, get, if you use them fast enough. Um, this is supposed to be the relatively easy part. And we keep hearing these announcements of we're going to start using CVS, we're going to start using Walgreens. Apparently there's talk about using Walmart. Great where are the vaccines? Why is there this holdup? Right now the states appear to be sort of this black box where a lot of vaccine doses go in. And I'm probably exaggerating if I characterize it as a trickle, but a much smaller amount come out. And so the question is, where's the, the blockage in the pipeline? Where is the holdup in this? And my suspicion is it's states that are getting way too technical and complicated either in the registration process using all these websites or I suspect the, well, you have to be between these two ages and you have to have these type of health uh, problems, but not necessarily those kinds of health problems and you know, just an externally complicated process of who qualifies and who doesn't. We should be having vaccinations occurring in as many places as possible, using as many personnel as possible. And I'm starting to wonder here, because the Biden administration had said a couple of weeks ago that they were willing to set up these giant facilities. They were gonna have National Guard, they're gonna have federal funding, they're gonna and then the later states were like, that sounds great. When can you send the doses? And the answer from the Biden administration was, like, well, we can't send you doses, <laughs> but we'll send you people to administrate them. And the attitude of the states, or at least at least Oklahoma and a couple of other ones, were like, look, that's not really our problem. The problem is not that we don't have enough tents or enough people to administrate them. Our problem is we don't have enough doses. Now I'm not so sure that's an accurate assessment, at least for some of these states, there are 50 states and they're gonna have different situations, but some of these backlogs in these states cannot be explained by delays in reporting information or something like that, it's just too high. You really shouldn't be below 75% use. And yet 19 states and the District of Columbia have used less than three quarters of their supply so far. And remember we started this back in mid-December. Utterly inexplicable. It has become my growing obsession. You're probably going to hear a lot more about this in the corner and in the morning jolt in the weeks to come. Because, give the Biden administration credit. Yes, it's great that we hit 50 million doses yesterday. Uh, it's great that the rate pace has increased since them. A whole bunch of people I know have at least gotten their first shot. Great, but we're in a race against these variants, and I don't. Right? You know, if, if we should be putting these into people's arms as fast as Pfizer and Moderna can make them. And oh, by the way, any day now we're supposed to get the Johnson and Johnson one. There is a problem in the process of getting them into people's arms. And until we start addressing that seriously, uh, all the you know, photo ops at drugstores in the country aren't gonna make a difference.
1: Jim, we have a really crazy martini coming up, but I have to ask you what I think is a quick follow up, but I don't know how fired up you are about this. The thing we keep hearing from this administration, you know, Biden had the town hall where he said there wasn't a vaccine before he came into office. Uh, That's clearly not true. But what they've said over and over and over again, so you know it's not a stumble, is that they had to start from scratch with the plan. Uh, I'm sure it's been refined over the past month plus now that they've been in office, uh, and as more doses have become available. But uh, what do you you make of the reworking of facts on that particular front? Is it just a matter of making any benchmark they hit look like it's all because of them? Is it to just diminish what the previous administration did? What's what's the reason for that? Because it's obviously not true.
0: Yeah. So if you believe that there was no plan, please talk to Dr. Anthony Fauci and General Gus Perna for a second opinion. Um, They will dispel that notion. Now, if they wanted to say the plan wasn't detailed enough, the plan wasn't elaborate enough, fine. Okay, we can argue about the quality of the plan, but they've gone that extra mile of saying, oh, that there was no plan. Now, the next question is, if you want to argue that the Trump administration, when they set this up with Operation Warp Speed, made a mistake by trusting 50 different states and all the different states to entrust it to their counties, and some counties are entrusting it to their uh, localities. If they, if you want to say that, you know, this, this is the downside of federalism is that you're at the mercy of each individual location and the quality of their administrators. And, you know, some counties and states are going to be very well run. Some counties and states are going to be very poorly run. I, you can make that argument. Um, I would note, by the way, if you look at the states that are worse performing, you can find Kansas, which has a democratic governor. You can find Maryland, which has a Republican governor. And yes, most people would be like, huh, that's the opposite of what I would have expected. Uh, Alabama's near the bottom, but also Washington DC is near the bottom. It's very, you know, there's not an easy easy way to say, oh, the red state governors are screwing it up, or oh, the blue state governors are screwing it up. I I do think that that some states were just inexplicably, unacceptably unprepared. I'm seeing a lot of healthcare.gov. The the scenario we just described with Kamala Harris reminds me of healthcare.gov, when Obama was doing the Rose Garden ceremony and telling everybody to sign up on it, and the website was crashing and nobody could could buy insurance through it. Like, they had months and months to know you were going to need a system to get people this. And I I described the anecdotes of my uh, parents down in South Carolina who had a 97 year old neighbor who didn't have a smartphone and didn't have a computer and didn't have, you know, wasn't on the internet. I I do kind of wonder again, the same problem we had with healthcare.gov when these people build a website. And again, these are local, these are county websites. These are state websites. These are local websites. Sometimes it's private hospitals and CVS and Walgreens and stuff like that. But by and large, when you design this system, do you have your grandmother in mind, or are you picturing someone who is very astute and who is very good at troubleshooting when a website isn't working quite the way it is, and drop-down menus and all the different things that can go uh, go haywire with this? It appears, you know, and if if I had to point to one thing that is not working well, obviously the Biden administration doesn't have complete control over this, but I don't remember Joe Biden saying on the campaign trail, I "Look, when this once I'm in there." I'm going to be at the mercy of the states and localities and how well they can do this sort of thing. I remember him saying, I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. And lo and behold, Greg, it's a little more complicated than it seemed on the campaign trail.
1: Wow. Well, uh, if you are trying to get a vaccine, hopefully you can get one soon. Uh, In the meantime, Stay comfortable, and that's where my pillow can help you out. Um, I've had a my pillow for a long time, and it's uh, my favorite pillow. But did you know that my pillow is about more than just a fantastic pillow? Because now they're giving the same attention that they've given their pillows to their towels and their sheets. In fact, right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one, get one free on all
0: six-piece towel sets and Giza Dream sheet sets. My Pillow towels have proprietary technology that makes these towels highly absorbent. They are soft to the touch without that lotion-y feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. They're washable, they're dryable, and there are seven colors to choose
1: from. And when it comes to the Giza Dreams bed sheets, they're made with the world's best cotton, making them ultra soft and breathable. The sateen weave gives them a luxurious finish. will have you sleeping really well. Also, 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee, washable and dryable, wide variety of colors and sizes. So visit MyPillow.com to learn more. Right now, for Three Martini Lunch listeners, all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets are buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 1-800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com code martini or call 800-874-0104 for buy one get one free on all six piece towel sets and giza dream sheets all right on to the crazy martini now jim and our good martini earlier this week was i think neera Tandon is actually going to be rejected by the u.s senate or the biden administration is going to have to pull her nomination well they've refused to pull it and basically. This vote is all coming down to Lisa Murkowski, the Republican senator from Alaska. That's because Joe Manchin is voting no, which means that Biden needs one Republican vote from somewhere. It's not going to be Susan Collins. It's not going to be Mitt Romney. And other than Lisa Murkowski, it's hard to imagine who it could possibly be. Well, just yesterday, Lisa Murkowski was shown a tweet from... December 2017 from Neera Tandon, by a Washington Post reporter who is an Asian woman who then got blasted, I assume mainly by people on the left, uh, for showing this tweet to Lisa Murkowski. But anyway, Murkowski ended up voting for the uh, tax reform bill, which included tax cuts. And Neera Tandon had a tweet that time said, no offense, in responding to a Murkowski tweet, no offense, but this sounds like you're high on your own supply. You know, we know, and everyone knows this is all garbage. Just stop. And so Murkowski apparently hadn't seen that before, said she was a little bit surprised. But now we're hearing, Jim, that on Monday, Murkowski will meet with Tandon. You have to figure with these one-on-one meetings, unless Tandon really has no social skills at all, that uh, whatever passes as a Neera Tandon charm offensive will probably gain her some points, which means that uh, I-, I see it being at least a, a higher possibility that Murkowski's going to save this nomination. Uh, it could mean her Senate career is toast after that if she does. But, Jim, there's no need to snatch defeat on this nomination out of the jaws of victory. So the fact that she wants this one-on-one meeting is a little bit troubling.
0: Yeah, uh, Greg, the only real obstacle to Neera tandon launching a charm offensive and winning over Lisa Murkowski and letting their bygones be bygones and apologizing for the nasty words, the only thing that can stop that is um, the fact that she's near-attended. <laughs> And she's not good at getting along with others. Um, so here's it: I'd, I'd be surprised if Murkowski really went along because went along with this. Because the, with the great irony about the Murkowski tweet, and by the way, don't don't write nasty messages to reporters, or at least not that reporter. She's, she's just doing her job. There are a lot of times the media gets a lot of deserved grief. This is not one of them. Under, a Washington Post reporter is under no obligation to hide embarrassing information to near a and make sure, oh, oh, Senator, don't look at, the, you know, like if, if you tweet about a senator, uh, something snotty and nasty, well, then lo and behold, this may become an issue in your confirmation hearing. Go figure, you know. Um, I think what I'm, what, what would be really kind of fa- fascinating and frustrating for Murkowski to stick her neck out to save some a nomination that looks like it's toast already in the biden administration they're talking about replacements for her and to me like here's it it's not like near a if she doesn't get confirmed to be off director of the office of management and budget it's not like she dies it's not like she you know gets cast off into the phantom zone it's not like she's you know, not, you know what what it means is that if the biden administration if they want to find a job for her for neera Tanden, if they want to say thank you to her because of the center for american progress either you know was an important organization or to stay uh on good terms with the hillary camp or for whatever reason has joe biden believing that neera Tandon deserves a job and needs a job in her administration well, you better find something that either doesn't require Senate confirmation, some sort of White House post, or, you know what, at any point, Joe Biden can call up the Democratic National Committee and say, hey, you know what, why don't you put Neera Tandon give her some important job there. He can do that, and there's nothing Republican senators can do about that. Right? The world of politics has a lot of jobs and it has a lot of jobs for a partisan hack like Nira Tanden that she'd be perfectly well situated in and that would not require Senate confirmation. And here's the thing, out of all the, the Biden cabinet nominees, the process is going slowly and we'll wait and see on Javier Becerra. There, there might be a few others that might be in trouble, but Manchin got on board with Holland. Um, by and large, Biden's getting the cabinet he wants. This is the, you know, and a lot of people when she was named near a tandem was a sacrificial lamb. And a lot of people kind of said that, eh, you know, look, OMB is a dry, boring numbers-based position that you don't want a partisan hack in. You, you want somebody, Rob Portman would be the ideal one. Now, I mentioned this with Hugh Hewitt and Hugh said, uh, oh, look, if Mick Mulvaney can do that any partisan can end up in that job. Okay. But again, w- what precedent do we want to set? Do we want to say that it's okay to start putting partisan hacks in this job? Or do we want to say, all right, we want the number crunchers to not be partisan axe wielders. Hatchet men was the term I was looking for there, and I can only picture the the, the axe or hatchet in my mind. Um, give Nira Tan some other job. Keep her in partisan politics. Don't put give her a lever of the policy. Don't put her in charge of making the, sure the budget numbers add up. This you know, this is it. And so if Murkowski to jump in and save someone who insulted her. Um, you will see an enormous amount of discussion about how Republicans refuse to fight and all that kind of stuff. I think I don't even really think this requires Republicans to fight because ironically, Bernie Sanders is still very vague on whether he's willing to support her. And there were, you know, Manchin has already said, no, no, I'm not supporting her. This isn't really being mean. This isn't really hardball. This is just consequences of actions. If you want to work in a job that's going to require the Senate to confirm you someday, then you probably just ought to try to be kind of nice to senators in general, even when you don't agree with them. Disagree respectfully. House members, screw them. You can be as mean as you want unless they end up getting elected to the Senate. You could be, real you know, governors, state legislators, go ahead and rip into anybody you want. But senators, they might control your fate one day. So this is just a natural consequence of being a, of venting your spleen on Twitter. And after the last five years, maybe it's a good thing if everybody says, oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't tweet that nasty insult. Maybe I should not let out that thing because I'm really mad. Maybe I should put the phone down. Walk, go for a walk, take a deep breath. And if I still feel mad, then maybe say it, but try to figure out in a way where I don't come across as, a, as an unhinged maniac. Yeah, I, this is all natural consequences of actions before. This is not the GOP playing hardball. This is not the GOP being unreasonable. You, kind of like I said with Javier Becerra yesterday send me a better liar. Like, yes. find me some good progressive number cruncher who doesn't insult senators on Twitter. It's really not too much to ask of the Biden administration. So many thoughts uh, rattling around in my head. I'm not sure how many uh, folks in the West Wing
1: of the Biden administration listen to the Three Martini Ludge, but I can just picture a bunch of them giving you the kill sign when you say, give her a nice job in the White House. You know, it's something that doesn't require confirmation. They're like,
0: are you kidding want- me? Have you seen the HR file on her from central I don't American- want
1: her anywhere near me. Are you kidding me? <laughs>
0: She's some- <laughs> shoving people, naming sexual harassment claims. <laughs> right.
1: And yesterday, the Senate confirmed former Michigan Governor Jennifer Grant, who was an abject disaster as Michigan Governor. Uh crushed the economy there in the early 2000s. 64-35, 14 Republicans. So this whole idea that, oh, Republicans don't want women in these positions. No, Neera Tan is just a terrible individual who's not right for this job. And so uh, I'm wondering now though, Jim, because you mentioned Bernie still hasn't quite said, if he's going to be like uh, Joe Manchin was on the Kavanaugh vote, where as soon as Susan Collins said that she was going to support and Manchin's like, yeah, yeah, me too. Where if Murkowski now says, no, I just don't think I can do it. And Bernie will be like, "Nope, me neither." And then uh, they'll have to pull it, or or she'll lose the vote. So,
0: you know, Greg, it's really fascinating. The Grandholm nomination barely caused a ripple. Barely, you know, and and the interesting thing is, is that you know, I, I don't think she's got a particularly you know extensive background in energy or anything like that. Um, I think the most surprise, the probably the toughest. Uh, criticism that that I'm surprised we haven't heard even mentioned in the discussion of her nomination was that when you look back at her, uh, 2012, uh, convention speech, that was the speech, Greg, that made me believe that it was long overdue for drug testing of all political convention speakers, (laughs) Um, because if she wasn't on cocaine, man, she was on some sort of triple espresso. Greg, that convention speech was so over the top and off the rails that even Kimberly Guilfoyle was like, whoa, whoa, dial it back a bit. You don't want to turn it all the way up to 11. Just, just, you know, half of that would be fine.
1: That's the advantage, I guess, of throwing a lot of far lefties out as your cabinet nominees. Uh, only so many of them can draw fire. And it's basically Becerra and Tandon at this point. And by this point, the good Senate Republican, oh, Grant, fine, whatever, go ahead. <laughs> Man, well, I think we could eat a weekend. So Jim, enjoy yours. And I'll see you again on Monday when it will be March. Oh. Uh. Two months into 2021. See you Monday, Greg. And our second March of the pandemic. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are extremely grateful, seriously, very grateful for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Again, have a great weekend and please join us Monday for the next... All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4 martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared. 20 times faster than normal. So visit forpatriots.com slash martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000 x with the free solar panel included. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4Patriots.com slash martini. That's fourpatriots.com slash martini.
0: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.